Let's turn to Acts chapter 17, Mars Hill. Now, I think you all studied Greek mythology in school, so you know how the Greeks worshipped, right? Tell me their view of the gods. I don't want to anger them, okay? As long as they're happy, my life's going to be good. That's a horrible view to have of deity. But as long as they're happy, it's, it's when they get angry that we're in trouble. And how did they make sure the gods were happy? They honored and praised. And so they had temples to the gods. Mars Hill was one of those where they had all of the temples. And to make sure we didn't miss one, there was a temple to the unknown God. The unknown God. Let's, let's just cover all of our bases. Hey, to everyone else, we're going to worship and keep you happy if we forgot your name. I'd be a little ticked off that they forgot my name, but, you know, hey, at least I was remembered. But kind of a silly, I shouldn't criticize, but there are some serious ramifications to having that view of God. So Romans chapter 17, Paul stands up in that environment. And I do want to pause first to what he says first. Verse 22. Superstitious is a horrible translation. He is not mocking them. Paul stands up in the middle of Mars Hill and says, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things thou art. Superstitious is a horrible translation. He was saying, I recognize you have a sensitivity to God. And I acknowledge that. As I was walking around, verse 24, 23, as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now, this next phrase needs to resonate in every Latter-day Saint's heart. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. In the latter days, we have some wonderful things. The church has given us priesthood, gift of the Holy Ghost, scripture. What is our greatest and most important possession? What is it that makes the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints true? Now, I don't mean to pull them apart. I don't want to play that game. But if you boil down the central thing that says this makes the church true. You remember the class we just talked about, right? You know where we're going. What is the central thing? I'm just going to use that word. What is it that is at the very heart of that this is the only true and living church? Is it the only true and living church because... We have the Holy Ghost. Is it the only true and living church because we have additional scripture? Is it the only true and living church because we have restored priesthood keys? What is the heart? 
Now, before you answer, let me set something up. And then I'm, then I'm going to have you answer that question. I, I'm going I'm to preface this by having you turn to Genesis and Moses. Would you turn to Genesis, very beginning of Genesis and, and the very beginning of Moses. Tell me what is the book of Moses? Can anyone define what the book of Moses is? Moses is the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 1 through 6. So this is Genesis, King James Version, went through the great and abominable church, and this is what we have left. Genesis, oh my goodness, can't even spell. Genesis is the Bible as it is. Right? Everyone comfortable with that? Moses is the Joseph Smith translation. It's the restored. So Moses is the Bible as it was or should be. The Bible as it was. So pre-apostasy, pre-great and abominable church, they would be the same. Do we agree? But knowing that the during the apostasy, many great and precious and plain and precious truths were taken out of the scriptures. This is what we have, and this is what we had. Okay, so everyone turn to Moses chapter 1. Sorry, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. In the, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the six creative periods, right? Where is that chapter in Moses? Find that chapter in Moses. Which chapter has the six creative periods in Moses? Moses chapter 2. So Genesis 1 is Moses 2. Okay, now go to Genesis 2. Sabbath day, the four rivers, um, the two trees in the Garden of Eden. Eve is created from the rib. It ends with the whole rib symbolism, right? Where is that chapter in Moses? Where do we talk about the four rivers, the Sabbath day, and the rib. That's Moses? Three. So they're not scrambled. We're, we're starting to see they're not scrambled. Go to Genesis 3, where Eve partakes of the fruit, and then Adam follows her, and they come into the lone and dreary world. Where is that in Moses? That's Moses 4. Okay, so we're starting to see a pattern here. Which means, I'm going, to let this, I'm going to let this distill on you for a second. There's not an extra. That's one way of saying it, but I'm going to say it differently. There's not an extra. If this is the Bible as it is, and this is the Bible as it was, tell me what you're seeing the first chapter of the Bible is missing. Right? The first chapter of the Bible 
is missing. What was the Bible is not what it is. And what it is is missing the first chapter. Now go to Moses chapter 1 and tell me what was taken out. How did the Bible begin and what was taken out? Our divine identity, our, our ability to become... Not just who we are, but who He is. The fourth, the four, go to Moses 1 verse 4. What was the fourth verse of the Bible? What did the fourth verse of the Bible say? Thou art my son. As I understand the world religions, as I've studied world religions, there is only one religion that I have studied that genuinely believes the relationship between God and man is parent to child. All other religions hold creator to create it. How about the sixth verse of the Bible? What did it make clear? The role of Christ. That the Father and and Christ are separate beings with separate responsibilities. How about verses 11 through 20-ish? What became very clear in the very beginning of the Bible? Who pulled himself out of the Bible? Satan. Remember when Moses, Satan appears to Moses and and, and Moses says, where is your glory? You got nothing, buddy. I've been in the presence of God and you got nothing. That was in the first chapter of the Bible. How about verse 39? What does verse, what did the first chapter, verse 39 of the Bible say? His very purpose is to grant us immortality. The world considers us blasphemous for believing we can become like God, and yet it was in the first chapter of the Bible. So tell me what was taken out during the apostasy. Of all the, if this is a sample, if this is a sample of everything, what was taken out of the scriptures during the apostasy? The true nature of God and our relationship to Him. Okay, ready? What was the first thing restored in the restoration? Oh, did your hair just stand up on the back of your neck? What was the first thing restored in the restoration? The nature of God and our relationship to Him. What is our greatest truth? What is the greatest asset the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints possesses? We know who God is. What do we say to the whole world? What do we say to the whole world? What is our position? Do you see we are Paul on Mars Hill? And what is our position today? Whom therefore you ignorantly worship. 
him declare I unto you. Let me show you a different version. I want you to show, I want to show you the repetition. This is Paul. Let me show you Jesus. Let me take you to Jesus. Go to John chapter 4. We'll go back a little bit. John chapter 4 to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay, so Jesus comes out. He's thirsty. It's the, it's the middle of the day. It's noon. It's in the middle of Jerusalem. You've been, I think you've studied it well enough to know that he was hot and he needed a drink. And wells in Jerusalem don't have the nice little cranky thing that goes down and picks. And the, no, no, no. Wells in Jerusalem are a hole in the ground. And if you don't bring something, you're not going to get any water out. So Jesus is thirsty and he can't draw water. Out comes a Samaritan woman with all the paraphernalia. And he says to the Samaritan woman, John chapter four, he says, give me to drink. And she says, how is it that thou being, I'm in verse nine. How is it that thou being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Why are you even talking to me? Jesus said, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Oh, how I wish Jesus would have answered that question. What could he have said? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He could have said that he was the God that Jacob worshipped. He could have said, Jacob dug the well, but I gave you the water. He didn't. Meek Jesus isn't going to say that, is he? So he simply says the great truth, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but shall, the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What would you say to that? Water that would make you never thirst again? Uh, give me. So she says, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now, what is any good missionary going to say at this point? to a single woman. Tell me what all the missionaries, all the male missionaries in here, specific, specific, what is he gonna say? Go get your husband. And she says, "Um, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, oh, that's right. You don't, you've had five. And the man you're currently living with is not your legally lawfully wedded husband. What would you do to that? What would you say if someone just said that to you? (laughs) Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So let's talk religion. You're a prophet. Let's talk religion. Now notice, tell me what she's focused on. What made a true religion true according to her? What was the essence of the argument here? Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What's the argument here? What's the point they're focused on? Where? We're the right religion because we worship at the right place. The Jews think they're the right religion because they worship in the right place. What's Jesus going to say to that? Now, 
before we hear it, what other things do we hear today? Or, there's one, we worship on the right day of the week. That was very prominent in my mission. We worship in the right tradition, and cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus is going to put all that down and simply say, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet worship, yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Now, what did Jesus say? Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. Therefore, we can do what? We can offer salvation. Now, do you understand the position of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Lovingly, kindly, humbly, we say to all the world, what do we say? Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. We know who we worship. Therefore, what can we do? We can offer salvation. The greatest thing, that's a horrible word, but I wish I had an equivalent. The greatest possession in the hands of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is we know who Heavenly Father is. We know His relationship to Jesus Christ. We know where He came from. We know what He wants. We know His plan. We know how to obtain it. We know who we worship. Therefore, what can we do? Offer salvation. Here and then here. So, quick question. The temple, I have a pastor friend, and he says, if I've been into your temples and I read your Book of Mormon, if I'm reading you right, all the things that you do inside this temple, I'm not going to do. So am I going to be damned? I didn't know what to say. If... Jesus is behind those ordinances and you choose not to do them, then answer the question. Let's, let me ask your same question with a preface. What if Jesus told us to do those things? What if they genuinely are the things that Jesus wants me to do? Then to not do them would be what? Rejecting Christ. So the only question you have to answer, it's all over the Old Testament. There is nothing we do in our temples that wasn't done in the first temple Israelite, in, in the first temple Israelite temple. Every ordinance, everything we do, we may do it a little, the presentation may be different, but if you read your Bible, you will find everything is there. And even if you don't read your Bible, if you ask the question, is this temple the Savior's? So the great question is, do we know who Jesus is? Do we have in our possession a true identity of Christ? And there are ways to test that, and he needs to test I that. I remember reading ceilings. I know endowments, because they have the Holy of Holies and things like that, but I don't remember ceilings in the Old Testament. Well, it's hard to read ceilings in the Old Testament because what priesthood did they have? They have Levitical priesthood, and they, it's hard to read about 
Melchizedek ordinances in the Old Testament. Yes, the prophets did. But those who ran the temple in the Old Testament are operating under which priesthood? Aaronic priesthood. But, yes. But the, guess which book was written under Melchizedek priesthood? And again, the test isn't, isn't in the Bible. That's not the test. The test is, does the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is there a restoration? Was there an apostasy? Is there a restoration? And is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in possession of God's truth today? Because that settles the question. But we know who we worship. We know who God is. Oh, I was just also going to add on um, to the fact when we can read about the plan, we can know his intention, we know everything like that. But even more so is we have modern day revelation that's also personal. So we can understand the nature of Christ in the scriptures and it's all over. We can also ourselves get to know him. Yeah. Now we've learned a couple things. Just to clarify, there are three means by which we receive revelation. We know that there is the light of Christ, which everyone have, right? Born with. The light of Christ is like a foghorn that says, over here. It's, I'm, I'm in the dark, I can't see, but I can hear a foghorn saying, it's over here. Now, everyone has light of Christ. So everyone can at least go in the right direction. Now, then we hear about the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost is like lightning that gives me enough light to do what? Oh, I'm, I'm lost. Can't see anymore. Oh, there it is. So, for example, when missionaries go out and preach people who don't have the gift of the Holy Ghost, how do they know it's true? The power of the Holy Ghost that gives enough light to step forward. But what is it that the Church of Jesus Christ is in possession of? The gift of the Holy Ghost. So, if you will come to the restoration because of who we know he is, we can give you the tool that will then open him to yourself. Do you see how it's all related to the possession that we have that gives us the tools so that we can help you get to know who he is? It all boils down to the identity of God. So that's why I love Mars Hill. I love that proclamation because I hear Paul saying to the Latter-day Saints, do you see what I'm doing? Do you understand what I'm doing? You are in that position. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Can I tell you about God? And can I give you the tools so that you can learn about him for yourself? Tell me what the Book of Mormon does. Now, the Book of Mormon doesn't have three degrees of glory in it. It doesn't have temple ordinances in it. 
But what does it have in it? The nature of God and our relationship to Him and how we connect to it. Now, one more thing on Mars Hill. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with a child? What's the purpose of the game for a child? What's the purpose of the game for a child? To be found. (laughs) Right? The whole point is to be found. So when a child hides and you come in and say, gee, I wonder where you are, tell me what the child does. I'm right here. They pop out. I'm right here. The whole point of the game for a child is to be found. I want to be found. Now, what's the purpose of hide-and-go-seek for an adult? To win. To stay hidden. (laughs) Adults win the game if what? No one finds me. Now, how does Heavenly Father play hide-and-go-seek? I have heard scientists say that if there is a God, when I meet him, I'm going to ask him, why did you make it so hard to find you? (laughs) Which blows me away. Because in my opinion, how does Heavenly Father play hide-and-go-seek? And as soon as you get close, what does He do? I'm right here! (laughs) You found me! So the question is, where does He hide? Go ahead. Um, I was going to mention that He's like written in every design. Like the way, if you look at the first translations, Yahweh is literally your breath. DNA. Yeah, and he says, I am, and every time you're talking, um, you tend to use I a lot, and it's just like noticing him in all of you. In everything. So for me, he hides like a child, and he pops out as soon as I get close. (laughs) But the, so I say to that scientist, where are you looking that you're not seeing him? Tell me where you're looking that you're not seeing him in the most obvious places because you're looking in the wrong places. So Paul's going to say, let me tell you where to look. So go back to Acts chapter 17. Where does Heavenly Father hide himself? I think this is one of the most beautiful concepts that you can catch. And when you catch it, it'll change your life. All right, ready? Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And then he starts talking about God. And then he says in verse 27, They that should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. In other words, if you look, you're going to find him, because he wants to be found. Now, where should you be looking? For in him we live and move and have our being, as does also, as also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Where do you find God? In his children. You find him in his children. So let me ask you a question. I know you have found love in the scriptures. I know you have seen and understood the concept of love. But where have your greatest lessons of love come from? 
I'll bet you anything, if every one of us are honest, it's not the scriptures. My greatest lesson of love was not written on the scripture pages. I was shown love. So that when I went to the scriptures, I said, oh, I know what that is. Who taught you about love? One of his children. Reflected his love. Think about all that you admire and all that inspires you. I have learned about forgiveness, patience, tolerance from his children. The very best in all of us is evidence of a supreme being. We are God's greatest evidence. Now let me let me push that a little bit. Written inside of you is a natural desire for good. Animals don't live that way. Animals live the law of survival. And it's okay. If I'm a buck that has no does, and over there's a buck with seven does, what's right in the animal kingdom? I'm going to go take him out. We're going to engage, and I'm stronger, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to take the does with me. And will they lament that I killed their lover? They won't. What will they do? Okay, we're with you now. That's the animal kingdom. It's survival. It's not right and wrong. It's survival. I have a question from Paul. Do the Jews know this? Because Paul was a Jew. Where did he get taught this? He teach this to the Grecians. He taught. He did the same scriptures that Jews were reading. Okay, then they really missed Jesus. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Now, Paul is rereading all those scriptures, and he's not, he can't, he can't, I can't miss Jesus now. But when he wasn't looking for Jesus, he didn't see him. So let me go back to this idea of right and wrong, okay? Um, have you ever had, I had two dogs once and one was the mother of the other, but they were both adults. So adult dog, adult dog, mother, son. And I throw out a treat. Does the mother say, oh, you eat it, son. You have it, son. <laughs> Does the son say, old woman, you have it. You take it. What happens between mother and son and a treat? Neither of them care about the other one. I want the treat, right? That's the animal kingdom. If baby spiders eat their mom, that okay? Survival. <sighs> but let me ask any one of you. You give birth to a mentally retarded child. Do you kill it? Do you kill it? You raise it? What if raising it inhibits you having other healthy children? Would you still do it? That is the dumbest animal on the planet. <laughs> or what? She is the greatest evidence that there is a God. 
and our instinct is what? Goodness. I would never give up a retarded child. And even the most cruel, hardened people in our society, I won't take their life away from them. Either we're the dumbest animals in the planet or we stand as evidence of what? That there is a God. How in the world would self-checkout work in the animal kingdom? (laughs) Or file your own taxes? Have you ever been driving down a street and there's a red light? You're middle of the night. No one's around. There's a red light. And what do you do? You stop and you wait the whole freaking time. (laughs) But at least you stop, right? Now, animals would do what? I think if we as his children could catch on to this concept that he has given us the greatest evidence of who he is in ourselves. We are his evidence. And if you look, you don't have to go very far. Now, I know you can be confused because of the animal inside of us that is an enemy to God. But the very best part of all of us is evidence that we are, that there has to be a divine creator. And we are his children. I know love, not because I read it in the scriptures. I know love because I live with her and she shows me every day what love is. I was raised by her and they showed me every day what love is. Simple things like sophomore year, we played judge high school basketball, three feet of, I mean, everything was closed down because of the snow. But the game wasn't canceled. And guess who's in the stands? Guess who's sitting in the stands who lives in South Jordan and went to Judge High School because her son was playing basketball for the sophomore team? There's my mom. And now I know what he's like. The greatest evidence of God is not far away from you. Start noticing it. Notice it in children. I don't know who did it, but I got to track it down. There's a video series being passed around the internet where children are interviewed. And for example, a white child is sitting next to a black child and they ask the children, what's the difference between the two of you? And the white child says, she likes potato chips and I don't. (laughs) That's the difference that she saw. A black child and a white child. What's the difference? Well, she likes potato chips and I don't. A girl in a wheelchair and one that's not. What's the difference between you? She curls her hair. I don't. (laughs) That's all they saw. And I just taught, I was just taught something about Heavenly Father. I think that's one of the great truths you'll ever find is that God is not far from every one of us. If you search for him, if you seek him, you will happily find him but you're not looking in the right place. Look at his children as the greatest evidence of who he is. Um, I just wanted to point out in verse 27, the way happily is spelled this old English. So I was looking at um, the definition of it and it says by chance, luck or accident. So it's like 
the people that do find Christ usually do it on accident yeah. or just by chance or because they're lucky. Um, even if they do have the intent to find something good, that's not usually what ends up bringing them to it. Yeah, he's found along the way. So, I love that. All right, Mars, Mars here. Sorry, that took way too much time. But Mars, do you see why that's such a pivotal doctrine? Next week, as you gather with your families and talk about next, come follow, next week, come follow me, pause on Mars Hill and ask them to ponder what it means when Paul says, whom ye therefore worship ignorantly, I'm going to tell you about. There's the commission. There's the reason the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints exists. And then find him in his children. The most natural thing on earth is to watch mommies and daddies who have babies who grow up to be mommies and daddies, who have babies who grow up to, who grow up to be mommies and daddies. Well, I am the child. He is the parent. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know where I'm going. I look around and I te he teaches me his plan all around me. I have, I once took my daughter to an emergency room because she cut her lip. Yesterday, my daughter took her son to an emergency room because he cut his lip. And when I was, I just thought, I remember doing this with you. And now you're doing it with him. And her son's going to take his son to the emergency room to cut his lip. And then I realized, you know what? Someone I'm following was once where I'm at. I see it. The plan is so simple. And his children teach it. 